I'm not going to say that I would never throw a party, but I would never throw a party oh, that way. I'm No, no, no. I meant you would never say directly to a person I didn't mean you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never do that I'm either. not putting throwing a party past you. I think that's mm-hmm. um, too reductive I'd, of your okay. you I don't know that I, I don't know that I would ever throw a party. I would throw a small get-together. You would, sm- you would throw a small gathering of friends. I would, small, I would throw a small a gathering small, of friends. A small, steady group of friends. Yeah. Um, if I had this, if I had the space for ple- it. Did, can, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, can you please acknowledge? What? I'm, I'm a so, small so, study group of friends. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I, I can only pull out these niche references for one person. I need acknowledgement. It's just a party, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Lauren. Through years of playing together in our band coping skills, our collaborations have often focused more on bits and banter than on actual music. So we created a space for our superfluous antics to thrive alongside music commentary, interviews, and more. This is More Talk, Less Rock. Hello, Amy. <laughs> Welcome to More Talk, Less Rock. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Please give them their full title, The Amy Hoffman. The- <laughs> Hello, The Amy Hoffman. I'm the Welcome only one more- I know. Honestly, when I did a Google search of Amy Hoffman, Missouri, there was more than one. So, <laughs> Whoa. I, I mean, I don't know any others. There was but someone nothing who compares. worked on. There was someone who worked on cruise ships that was also named Amy Hoffman and worked in the entertainment department and had like just left the ship I was joining when I first mm-hmm. started ships, and um, that was a really strange time for all of us. <laughs> That's the only other Amy Hoffman I almost know. Almost know. <laughs> yeah, you're just someone I almost knew. <laughs> <laughs> like like, like yeah, referring future. to like a casual work acquaintance as someone you almost know. <laughs> I like that. So the Amy Hoffman. We like to have our guests introduce themselves. So would you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Whoa, yeah, sure. Uh drop my least favorite thing on me talking about myself. Um <laughs> You agreed to do to a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I am, I am on a podcast. I should uh, about you, yourself, and you. Yeah, listen. That is the name of the game. Yeah, this is the lane I chose to be in. I I did it to myself. Uh, I'm Amy, and I play in a band called Future Teens. Um, I'm painfully Midwestern, which makes being in Boston for nearly a decade now uh, feel kind of weird, but also just like home in a weird way. Boston's just as hospitable, but, like, you have to earn it. So, um, really the best of both worlds. What else would you like to know? Yeah, I feel like the, mo- the most important thing to know about me is that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pop encyclopedia with huge camp counselor energy. And that's, that's where we're at. That really just sums it up better than we ever could. <laughs> so, that's a very good one-liner. Thank you for pulling that Thank out. you. Thank and you. That's a Twitter bio if I've ever seen one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Hurt, hurt maybe one, that maybe that should be the new Twitter bio. It could be. What is your Twitter bio now? Uh, so my current Twitter bio comes from uh, 
several years ago when uh, our former drummer Dylan and the guy I play in a vibraphone emo band with was still in Future Teens, and we were playing a show at Kung Fu Necktie upstairs. Wow, Dylan, Philly uh, shout out. Classic. Yeah, Dylan odds to me. We had the we had a bit at the time that this is like a you know long term bit, but he he odds to me into changing all of my bios across social media uh, to don't be scared, baby. It's just rock and roll. That's it. <laughs> I feel like if we ask all our guests what their Twitter bio is from now on, like we would learn so much. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. maybe we'll bring that. Maybe that's a good nugget. I think to you've already taught us something. Thank yeah, you so of much. Course. You have improved the show. <laughs> yeah, on the same tour, we odds to Dylan into sitting in a high chair somewhere in Missouri and saying, "I'm hungry." So <laughs> I, you know, I really came out on top. I think. Yeah, you had the better odds, yeah. and it's <laughs> given you a better legacy. I think. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I've really committed to it. Speaking about Missouri, which is where you grew up, would you tell us about your first experiences playing music? Yeah, I, my dad played guitar and my mom played piano growing up. And I got my first guitar when I was like eight years old. Uh, and my dad taught me how to play Old MacDonald. And around the same time, I'm the youngest of three. My siblings are eight and 10 years older than me. So my brother was like in high school going to Warp Tour and like, like, Got pulled on stage with Good Charlotte or some shit. Wait, like, you've never Whoa. what? Yeah, you've never told me this story. We will save it. Please continue. Yeah, that, I, that's all I really remember is he like came home from Warp Tour with like a pick from Newfound Glory and having like jumped around on stage with Good Charlotte and me being like, "That's so sick, dude." <laughs> uh, so my my older brother made me an emo. Um, that was also like when MTV was was like crawling with some 41 music videos and I just fell into the pit and uh yeah started taking like weird guitar lessons where I was being taught a lot of blues (laughs) Mm -hmm. but was like way too scared to ever play in front of anybody until like later in my teens so you were just taking lessons and practicing by yourself at home not playing in like school bands or anything yeah we didn't really have much of that where I grew up And I was, like, my whole identity was centered around playing sports. I played basketball year-round. I played four sports as a freshman in high school. Like, yeah, it it was everything to me. Uh, Not because I wanted it to be, but because I was, like, told that that was how I could make something of myself. was, like, Mm -hmm. go play college basketball, get a scholarship, be an engineer, etc. I was, like, you know, fed the gifted child coursework. Classic. Yeah. yeah, that really is the framework, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, completely. And then I got hurt sophomore year and couldn't play sports anymore uh, and joined a band like an hour away in Pittsburgh, Kansas with a bunch of older like college boys. My parents were like, we have, I don't know about this. We have to meet them. So they like came over for pizza and it was a really weird time. Was that <laughs> your first time playing music in front of people was with that band? Yeah, I guess it was. We didn't play a ton of shows, but like my first real being on a stage playing rock music was with those guys. Um, we did a really terrible cover of uh, of the Space Between by Valencia. Wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think our drummer at the time like bought that band's old like pink sparkly drum kit too. We had like Valencia's actual previous drum kit. 
at that show. That's wild. Yeah. Did the pizza when you when the the guys came over for pizza? Did that go well? What did your parents say? It went fine. I think so. One of them, our drummer, was um, dating one of my basketball friends. So my parents were like, "Well, you know, if like Lisa's parents trust Anthony, then." I think this is probably okay. Like, we're not as sure about these other guys, but, like, Anthony's good. And that's, like, what made them chill with it. The rest of the guys, mm-hmm. like, really tried to turn on the charm, but you could kind of tell, like, mm, this is a little weird, but, well, fuck it. Amy's happy. Amy has a busted foot and can't do anything they like. Like, we need to <laughs> need to give them something right now. Yeah. Yeah. That is, like, very parent logic of, like, okay, well, this guy is dating one of your... It's like passing the buck of responsibility of character assessment. It's like, (laughs) you know, her parents, Lisa's parents said said he's fine. Yeah. So, obviously, Lisa's parents know him very well. And I'm I'm sure this Anthony person was fine, but it's just, like, passing the buck of character assessment. Luckily, they were right. Anthony's amazing and, like, Mm -hmm. still one of my pals. I still see him anytime we tour in Dallas. But it certainly was, like, a weird... Hank and Roberta move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess before you joined the band uh, with these guys from Pittsburgh, Kansas, I was hoping you would tell us a bit about your experience at the Missouri Scholars Academy. And because I feel like that, from what I know about you, that was like your big break <laughs> that changed the game. <laughs> My big break. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess the, the summer shortly after I joined that band, um, I went to, I was 15, about to turn 16, went to um, this summer, I, I keep calling it a summer camp, but it's like, I don't know if you are familiar with governor's schools at all, but it's like a state-run academic summer program okay. where um, they take like the top 330 rising high school juniors in the state of Missouri, throw them on campus at University of Missouri, and like see what happens. <laughs> Don't you love being part of a social experience? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, as far as the, like the state is concerned and like what gets them to pay for it, it's, which isn't untrue. It's just not necessarily like what I got out of it. Kids get academic, social, cultural opportunities that they cannot get in their hometowns and schools, which for so many of us coming from like more rural parts of Missouri was completely true. There's stuff that I would never have been exposed to in Joplin, Missouri that I got to do there. And it was really eye-opening. It was the first place anyone ever told me like, you know, you don't have to follow the program. Like you, you are actually really good at what you're doing. You're a great songwriter. Like you're, you're good at playing music and it's absurd for you to go spend a ton of money to do something you don't actually want to do when like well you could Mm. do this and it would matter yeah and I I was like playing music in the little music room in the basement every night and was just surrounded by people who were excited about it and who like wanted to be part of that with me um I had like like a very sweet little crush on on this boy that played a little music and we like learned songs together um we've all been there like traded iPods Have we been lucky enough where it's like you're also making, like, learning songs together? You know, actually, now that I think about it, no. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely all been there for, like, crush on the sweet little boy who also plays music, but more just conceptually, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you got to have the experience, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it rocked. I I was, uh, 
I was really fortunate to get to go. I was pissed about it at the time because sports were my whole identity. I got pulled out of varsity basketball camp to go, but uh, it worked out for the better. What, I was really going to go play D2 basketball and, like, have a happy life? No. <laughs> uh, it all worked out for the better. Um, and while I was at MSA, someone suggested I go to this seminar taught by like, a Catholic priest who, like, didn't look or act the part, but certainly had the, like, emphasis and circ- pop and circumstance. Like, I, I grew up evangelical, so it, like, at the time really spoke to me. And he described vocation as the intersection of the greatest needs of our world and the deepest longings of our hearts and Mm -hmm. had a lot of really cool conversations about that and how like what what things do I love doing that have like impacted me and that I can like run with and I had the opportunity to like play a song uh at this talent show and I was absolutely petrified having never played by myself in front of like really anyone ever and I covered coffee shop soundtrack by all time low you sure did um, I, sh- I sure <laughs> I don't know did that one. <laughs> I'll um, show you later okay okay it was really cool it was um like a really life-changing thing for me to do and to be told like hey you do a thing that has like made our month here better and you do a thing that we believe in you in doing and I, I, no one had ever like believed in me in anything other than school before. Um, mm-hmm. And to like find out that there's, there's more to it than that, that I like being good at school isn't the only thing that matters was pretty sick. Yeah. That sounds like a really transformative experience with like your relationship to playing music and how, and kind of like opened you up to that being more than just something for you in the future. It is kind of wild how that happens. Like the how that trajectory, like people who who get to start playing music, how that trajectory kind of happens differently for everybody. Totally. But it is cool when you get there and look back and you're like, "Oh, that was like a wild that was a wild path to to get there." Especially starting out thinking like, "I'm going to play sports and that's going to be my life." <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like, "Okay, maybe not, but like maybe this new thing is cool too." And yeah. I think that we can all relate to like the experience of growing up in an environment where your academic aptitude is highly focused on and (laughs) made kind of one of the central tenets of your identity somewhat against your will. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, big time. It's uh, the the plight of the gifted child. Uh, (laughs) it's, It's a real thing. I think I, I like, I still sit with that conflict of like, ah, I have to be good at everything right away or I've completely failed at everything. And like, yeah, but what is, you know, if what is the like physical monetary value of this thing that I'm doing? And if I don't have that, then what the fuck am I even doing? Like, why does it matter? And like, obviously that's all baloney other than the part where we like require some sort of monetary productivity to survive. Uh, yeah, that's on capitalism, baby. Yeah, that's that's its own conversation. Uh, <laughs> I think of like, uh, I, I went to one college and then went to a different college because I couldn't get what I wanted from the first college. I went there because 
I felt trapped into it because they gave me the most money. Which, mm-hmm. like, who amongst okay, us? Okay, who fucking? <laughs> we, all of us here yeah. have gone to one college and, and then, then gone to, to another, another college. college. Yeah, so. who fucking needs college? Let's start there. Quit college. Um, drop you'll be out just college. Fine. <laughs> yes, drop Cue out the college. I've got one hundred thousand dollars underneath my bed. You don't need a music degree. It's really God. Why did I wish someone had told me that? But I was like yeah. so Were attached to the program. Question, were your parents of the ilk that it didn't matter what degree you got, but you need to get a degree? Not quite. They were very okay. perturbed when I projecting. wanted to. Projecting, so go ahead. Yeah. That was, no, that I mean, think that was our experience. They, they no, didn't, I'm projecting. They gave in on me studying guitar because they were like, well, at least Amy's going to school. But mm. initially it was like, no, 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 don't. No, no. How about you go to a <laughs> no, place that's a good that. <laughs> business program, but you go in Nashville, so you'll be amongst your people, mm. which is not the same. It's not. No, no. It's not. I had a bad time, <laughs> which isn't to say things were. We're like, not laughing at you. We're laughing, we're laughing with, with you. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, whomst among us has not um, had yeah. a had a bad time at college. <laughs> Whomst among us. <laughs> Rachel, did you have a bad time at college? <laughs> Famously, yes. <laughs> it's almost like we wrote a song about it. Maybe I should have dropped out of college. Maybe I should have dropped out of college. So where did you go the second time around and how did that treat you? I transferred to Berkeley College of Music in the middle of my second year of school. Uh, transferring, like, in the middle of a year is so hard. Whom's to my <laughs> Yeah, again. It- <laughs> for, for, for audience context, I went to Syracuse for one semester, left, went to a local community college for a semester to stay in school, and then went to UArts, and then Lauren... Yeah. I went to Fordham for three semesters and then transferred to UArts. So like we keep saying, whom's among us? among us? <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm glad this can be a, um, a relatively this, universal experience for the three This is a safe space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's such a weird, no matter where you're transferring in the middle of the thing, everyone else is pretty settled in. Everyone else like has kind of the lay of their land. And for me, it was like, okay, I'm from a small town in Missouri. I went to a very Christian college in Nashville, Tennessee. And now, here I am. I moved into my dorm during a snowstorm in January <laughs> uh, oh. in the middle of Boston, a place I've been twice in my life, um, once when I was 12 and once for my audition, during which my dad was like, you really want to go to this long hair school? <laughs> long hair school? Yeah, uh, at the end of my first semester, we were taking a walk together, and he was like, "You know, I didn't, I didn't really think that long hair school was going to be for you." <laughs> like, what is that? I like. Mean? Don't even really. Do you know what that expression means? It like feels homophobic, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't quite pinpoint how. I th- okay. So my, my it, I, I hear you. <laughs> what I'm guessing from the context of knowing my father is that he's coming at it from like a. Jazz boy fish fan, that kind of long hair. Oh, it's like a hippie thing. Yeah, I was thinking okay. it might yeah, okay, also okay. be a hippie thing. Okay. Which, to be fair, 
the first person I met at Berkeley, who incredible, very sweet person, like stepped out of his room and was like, oh, uh, you're, you're a guitar player. Do you want to, do you want to see my strap? My mom just painted roses all over it. And then proceeded to tell me all about his favorite fish songs. So, uh, it's dad wasn't wrong. Part of the problem of transferring the middle of a year and being as deeply anxious with no, with no tools like I was at 19, because you know, my family therapy, no, acknowledging her. your need for mental health care. <laughs> no, never. Um, <laughs> that's going to be the title of this episode. I'm just, it. just throw it out relatable feels one after another. <laughs> yeah. This is just whomst among us mad libs at this point. <laughs> oh boy. So how do you handle this experience of transferring in the middle of no social skills? <laughs> It's rough, and therefore, really I did is. not assimilate. Yeah. I had a, I, yeah, it was rough. I think that ultimately, Berkeley was a good thing for me because it got me out of middle America where, you know, I was brought up with like some pretty toxic perceptions of the world around me and getting thrown into a completely different environment in a place that would completely shake everything I thought I knew about existence um, wound up being the best thing that could ever happen to me. And like, yeah, sure, I spent way too much money to do it and will continue to spend way too much money to have done it. But it was worthwhile, if only for the fact that I'm like a better, more empathetic, rounded person for having um, left my very tiny hometown long enough to see past myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm a better musician, too, technically. There's also that. <laughs> That's secondary. Yeah. So modest. Yeah. 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 You know, like learn learned some things in school that were not related to like being a better human being and school got me a music job immediately. But And what job was that? I worked for Carnival Cruise Line. What a beautiful Please segue. say more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I would like to know everything about yeah. it. Yeah. Great. And this is where I put it. Sponsored ad. If I had one! Sorry, lost the happy, but the happy's back! Uh, so immediately after I graduated, I wanted to stay in Boston, but needed, like, so I graduated in December as well, just to, like, really, really bring home the, like, non-normative uh, college cycle. And uh, was like, well, I really want to stay in Boston, but it's not really fruitful to do my other job at the time, which was uh, I was a pedicab driver for many summers. Whoa. There we go. Yeah. We're really getting into how weird my resume is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> digging deep. So I was hunting Craigslist for work and found a home health care job that I was like, whoo, I am not equipped for this. But like at applied anyway, because it something about it like struck a chord. Um, and I wound up working for the most amazing and most infuriating person I've ever known. An Marin, excellent combination. It truly. Um, Marin was so, so special. And um, I got to, like, play music with her and and hang out a bunch. And um, I worked with Marin until um, for about six months. And during that six months, she was so frustrating. And I had no coping skills whatsoever that I started looking for music traps. I was like, what am I, what am I doing this for, huh? 
that, you know, I'm like having a good time, but also getting yelled at by this like old lady from Brooklyn. Like what the, what's happening? (laughs) I'm confused and don't know how to parse through my feelings. I'm going to look for other jobs. Um, And stumbled into um, this listing for um, a solo gig on Carnival Cruise Line. They, They asked like, oh, send us a little bit about yourself and like a song list. Uh, they wanted you to have, you know, X number of songs from top 40 over, like, whatever decades. I made one up. <laughs> so, yeah, I know all these songs. Uh, sent it over, and the guy was like, cool, I'm going to be in uh, Boston tomorrow doing auditions. You want to wanna chat? Wow. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I uh, met the met this dude at a coffee shop downtown, and he was like, all right, so um, I stalked you on the internet, and you're going to be great at this. When do you want to start? Wow. Whoa. Yeah. The first time that hearing the words I stalked you on the internet has ever led to a promising <laughs> result. Yeah. Yeah, truly the only time ever. Doesn't usually bode well. Yeah. It was your Twitter bio. It had to have been. <laughs> what else would it be? How, I mean, that's how he must have known that I would be both calming to guests in a crisis and bring them the rock and roll. Exactly. It's everything. Because you gotta you, have it's both. everything. You, you gotta have both. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, and I was like, all right, sick. However, I have, like, a personal thing to deal with. Can I start a little later? Because in the time between applying and talking to Dave, I found out that Marin um, was terminally ill. So um, mm-hmm. I, like, finished out Marin's life with her while, like, learning as many songs as I could, workshopping them with her and, like, having a having a blast and her being like, play Brown Eyed Girl again, but I need you to play it like Van. uh there were like like just like little little ad libs that van morrison does that she was like no you got to do the just like that (laughs) Uh, well it seems like you had the perfect coach to prepare you i truly did yeah yeah it's like come on you ass fuck do the just like that Uh, why was one of her favorite curse words ass fuck? I don't know, but it worked I mean, for her. I feel it. it coming out of your mouth. I yeah. feel like that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was really special. And, uh, you know, whether she knew it or uh, felt it or not, she pushed me into one of the weirdest jobs I'll ever do. Cruise ships were really fun and really weird. Uh, I was a solo act, so just me and an acoustic guitar, fucking around, taking requests. I played four hours a night in various bars around the ship. My first contract was six months. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after that, I said, hey, (laughs) no thank you. I'll do up to three. And they were cool enough to be like, oh, yeah, we value you enough for that. Yeah, you can tell us how long you want to be out and we'll do that. That's good. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was doing anything from, like, a few days to a couple of months and got to see a lot of really cool stuff, got to, like, travel to places I otherwise probably would never have gone to in my life and um, learned a ton of music. Cruise Ships is how I became the pop encyclopedia I am today. Um, I learned so much music, would, like, write down every request I didn't know and go home and learn it that night. Sometimes would just be like, "Mm, I vaguely know that, let's do it, and try to play it on the fly. My ears got better. Uh, I like became a better musician and then eventually was like, damn, I'm overworked and underpaid. My As a musician? Whoa. Four, four hours? Of, yeah, truly. 
As a musician, overworked and underpaid? <laughs> Can you imagine? Never have I heard. The audacity. Again, whomst among us. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> what was on your no-fly list? Oh my god, my no-fly list. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, believe it or not, Margaritaville. I wow. would not play it. On principle or what? I just couldn't do it. I was like, I'm going to hear this song on the speakers minimum six times a day. That is minimum. a lot of yeah. times. That's like it, peak it cruise ship fare. It will constantly be on the, the background music. It will be played at every bar in port. It will be played by like every steel, plan, steel pan player in port. Every other person who does music on the ship will play you Margaritaville. Please don't do that to me. So I super didn't play Margaritaville. I think that was the only thing that was like a hard no thank you. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that I was like, oh, like, fine, I'll play Hotel California again. Wow. It's <laughs> a long song for a request. It is a long song. Yeah. People are just having a good time. And running my show the way I did, just like letting the people feel like they had control of the situation to be like, yeah, what do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? What's that? Yeah. You want to hear uh, Teenage Dirtbag again? Cool. Come back next set. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was fun. I got to yeah. got to talk a lot of shit on stage and do a lot of banter again. Hoops among us. us. <laughs> well, playing, you know, you said four four hours a night. Yeah, sometimes more. At the end of it, they were asking us. I think I, I had five sets a night on my last ship. For like, which is part of why I quit. Yeah. So four hours a night. How many days a week again? Six. Six days a week for yeah. months at a time is an intensive <laughs> program for getting really good. And now that we're talking about this, I'm wondering if you feel like your Berkeley education or your cruise ship like routine, which made you a better musician? Oh, cruise ships, 100%. Berkeley made me better at like reading and negotiating contracts and mm-hmm. cruise ships made me a better musician. I don't have the same, like, noodly chops that I had at the end of college because cruise ships was a lot of, like, strumming my way around. But my ears got dumb good on ships. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. What made you finally stop doing the ships? Honestly, Future Teens was was the biggest thing. Um, I was so tired. I had gone from being, like like, feeling like I was somewhat valuable to, like, recognizing that this is not what I want to do forever. I feel like I've plateaued as far as like growing. I've kind of hit the cap on the songs people give a shit about. And I don't want to play fast card again for a while. Rude, first Uh. of all, but okay. We can agree Uh, to disagree. (laughs) Okay. Here's the thing. On cruise ships, if you are not a man, there are approximately five people that everyone thinks you sound like. They are Tracy Chapman, Joni Mitchell, Stevie Nicks, Alanis Morissette, and I honestly cannot think of a fifth one right now. Maybe Carol King, depending on the crowd. What about Cheryl? Uh, what about Cheryl Crow? Okay. I played a lot of Cheryl, though I didn't necessarily get You Sound Like Cheryl. Most okay, people okay. defaulted to um, to Stevie or Alanis for me. Okay, okay. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Which, nothing wrong with that. Like, no. 
But it's like there are a lot no of really fun songs to play. Men. I can see, yeah, see how they yeah. get grading after a while. For a dollar, name someone that's not a dude. <laughs> <laughs> name yeah. a song by someone that is not a dude. And not on the list that I just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, name someone that's not Jimmy Buffett or James Taylor. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. I just, I got tired. Like, that lifestyle is hard. It's exhausting. Yeah. You're away all the time, and the, like, the rules on ships started to tighten up a little bit, where, like, you didn't have as much freedom to, like, roam around. Uh, there's just, like, so much weird divide in the in the crew and staff that's very like ethnically and racially charged like mm. um entertainment department is like all western people period mm. it's very rare that you see anyone who's not from like the states the eu canada mexico on the entertainment side period the entire food and bev is folks from like India and the Philippines. The entire bar staff, so so most of Eastern Europe, and like I knew a lot of people from those places that wanted to break into different parts of different kinds of work on ships, and it was so hard for them simply because of where they were from, and the like the weird pay structures for everyone. But like, I was one of the only people on board that ever got a day off. Room stewards don't do not have a single day off for nine months, and they work like ten to fourteen hour days That's for nine insane. fucking months so that they can support their families. It's it like <laughs> it was wild, and to have like that be the reality for so many people on board, and for them to like still be cracking down on what we couldn't couldn't do on board or in port, and like making it harder for us to live is. I could never go back just because of that. It's like cruise lines run their staff into the ground in ways that like I think is really deeply harmful to like physical and mental health. And like I've seen the effects of that and it's really upsetting. So while I loved it and I'm grateful for what I learned from it, it's also something I'm really glad to not be sitting with anymore. Yeah, it's definitely um, a lot of things like that where you have to hold both realities and both things can be true and are true. Yeah. And yeah. Everything is unjust and cruise lines are a, a blight. <laughs> 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 but I did have fun. I made some really amazing friends from all over the world and stuff that I'm going to remember and be grateful for more than more than anything. Um, I just get really fired up about the uh, the problems with it which is yeah, yeah. pretty on brand for me to be like, this was good, but also fuck it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you said that you, like towards the end of your time on the cruise ships, you were on like three month contracts. Yeah. Kind of. So what were you doing in between those, you know, extended times that you were on the ship, you know, with music, with future teens? Sweet, sweet future teens really like, was good to me <laughs> during this, like being like, okay, you're going to leave for three months. Can we just like finish recording your parts for this first? That'd be great. I finished all my parts for hard feelings right before I left, like two days before I left. And the same week we 
released an EP, like played, you know, one of the like handful of shows I'd ever played with Future Teens in large part because I was away so much. And then I left again, uh, Mm -hmm. which was at the time kind of the trend. But also like Daniel was playing in a folk band that was touring a lot. And we were kind of like zipping through um, other members and trying to figure out what the future of the band was going to be. I don't think any of us expected it to be what it's what it is, uh, which is really cool. Like, I always wanted this to be it. I was like, oh, well, Daniel's got this folk gig, and I don't know what's going to happen. But I came home from that ship, and we had been, like, cold emailing so many folks with the record, hoping that something would come of it. And uh, Daniel was about to get on a plane to Scotland and was like, you know what? Fuck it. One more. I think Take This to Heart is really cool. They have a great roster, and I just, I'll shoot my shot. And uh, a half hour later, Daniel, like, found Wi-Fi on the plane, opened his phone, and Joe from Take This to Heart had been emailing every song he listened to, send, send a follow-up email to Daniel. Be like, oh, this is really cool. Dang, this one's a jam. Um, and we ended up with this, like, really, really beautiful relationship with Joe and Take This to Heart. Signed on with them that September, like, as we were leaving for a short tour and. uh from there, I was like, why Why go back to ships when, like, I could do something different? I don't have to do that. This is the most fun I've ever had playing music. This is the most fun I've ever had writing songs. And, like, I believe in this record and these people a lot. Fuck ships. That's just a paycheck. <laughs> Fuck ships. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of hearing you talk about that and seeing the dichotomy between you being in high school and being like, I really like music and kind of getting responses that are like, you need to do something more serious. And then being an, an adult, and this was what, like four years ago? Yeah. And going, this is the thing that I want. This fulfills me. I can make the decision myself to do uh, the quote unquote irresponsible thing that is play in an emo rock band. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It feels good listening to you kind of have had that moment for yourself where you're like, this is what I believe in and this is what I want to do. And I'm going to follow that and do that. Thank you. It it feels nice to look back on. I think I, I needed this nice little reflection on ways I've actually done something right today. <laughs> <laughs> you have done so much right. Yeah. But that is often you. a thing that, you know, you don't just like sit in your house by yourself and be like, let me reflect on my life and the choices I've made and like, <laughs> I do it's not always fun <laughs> yeah if I do it's like me keeping myself up at night remembering something awful I said when I was 12 <laughs> yeah 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 but yeah definitely a lot of that definitely yeah a just lot a lot of, of like intrusive shame memories that are like Ugh. why am I thinking about this yeah yeah for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with future teens would you uh, explain a little bit more about your band yeah, uh, so Future Teens is what um, we call a bummer pop band, which uh, we didn't come up with. I think it was, I want to say Joel at Substream said that first. Um, it was, it's in a review of Hard Feelings, and I really should look up who said it. Um, but we have never been able to think of a more uh, accurate term. The band started kind of as a goof. Um, Daniel and our friend Gabe Goodman, who's an incredible songwriter um, and producer in his own right, they started the band as a bit under the idea of like, all right, what if we had a band 
when we were in like middle school, high school, a nice like uh, like the pure volume era, and we're reuniting wow. as like you know in our early twenties, but we're playing the same songs that we were playing as teens. Oh, so you're Blink One Eighty Two. Yes. It's a very Damn. hot concept. <laughs> Get them. <laughs> I mean, who's among like us that. has not started a band as a bit, you know? Who's among us? It's true. <laughs> like, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, and also, like, who's among us hasn't been a bummer pop band. <laughs> <laughs> true. Are we all the same person? Yeah, I think we're just all the same guy. (laughs) I mean, we could be we could be three thirds of a whole idiot if you want. (laughs) Wow, a whole a whole new element of tag yourself. Yeah. I mean, honestly, so in good. this setup, it feels like you're still Cosmo, I'm still Wanda, and Amy's Timmy Turner. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm done with I that. Do, I do low-key have a Timmy Turner haircut, so. <laughs> Timmy Turner. I'll take it. Free Turner. Timmy Turner had every emo boy with a swoop haircut in 2007. Yeah. Yeah, true. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I've lost the plot. Where were we? Yeah. Um, Future teens. Yeah, I was babbling about the inception of Future Teens. They've released an EP that is exclusively on floppy disk. Uh, what? That is not also not a joke. It's oh, this is all deadly serious. Yeah, deeply serious. We yeah yeah. It's you bit know. doesn't have to mean joke necessarily. True, true, true. I stand by that. Yeah, still just like very deep in the concept band, uh, and I think not long after that EP came out, uh, Daniel and I met on this app that's um it's it's really cool and great uh you you'd like swipe left or right and try to meet your bandmates uh it's called tinder (laughs) 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 yeah daniel i'm sorry there's no booing on the podcast that was rude but no you're allowed it was not a good joke (laughs) we you know there's what better way to lean into the bit than for Daniel and I to have met via Tinder and then later write a record called Breakup Season. I can't think I can't think of a better way to lean in. And Daniel messaged me and was like, hey, so um I not that this is really what this app is for, but do you want to be in this band? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know, send me the songs. And I he sent me the floppy disk EP, uh, which at the time he was able to send me via Bandcamp. I did not have to listen to it on a floppy disk. Yeah, not um, exclusively on floppy right. disk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I sent him my uh, really embarrassing solo record that I've since very much disappeared from the internet. Um, and he was like, cool, I like your guitar tone. I was like, yeah, this is fun. Let's be in a band together. But I'm leaving next week to go be in Australia for three months. So that cool? And he was like, yeah, that's cool. Here, Here's my number. Call me when you get home. Uh, and I worked on a ship in Australia for three months, called Daniel when I got home. And we worked on songs together and we're like, so we're in a band now. And we were we were then in a band. And the rest um, is the present. A beautiful origin story. Yeah. The rest is now we're here. We uh we <laughs> trade it traded in for Colby and Maya somewhere along the way. Um 
not because we don't love Nick and Dylan, but because they moved on to, you know, their own bigger, better things. And uh, now we're now we're a very nice little wholesome family. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I love them so much. What are you working on now? Do you have anything in the works coming up? Yeah, we're writing a new record right now. It's almost done. I think I, I have... have an idea for you. I'm sorry to interject. No, please. Call I love it. when you have ideas for me. Makeup season. Makeup season. Oh my god. Uh, a part two. <laughs> I mean, you know, Daniel is writing a bunch of like sad love songs now because you know Daniel's Daniel's out there being in love. So Fucked maybe up. maybe it's time. Meanwhile, I'm just writing like my mental health magnum opus. So it's. I mean, hoops among us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty thrilled about where where the songs are going. Hopefully gonna record later this year and who knows. But uh till then just like really hoping we get to play the most recent EP at shows one day. I guess at this point we're all just like I hope like <laughs> just waiting yeah. with cautious, breath. cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Definitely. We uh we played like a a fun and weird outdoor show at a college like a, maybe a month ago. And it was how was that? The, it was really fun. It was like the best feeling in the universe to, you know, rock with my friends again. But also so strange to be that far away from other people. Everything was socially distanced, so they had like circles out on the quad, uh, where like each little pod of people could hang out. <laughs> I have a vision. Is that episode of SpongeBob with the when they're camping and there's a bear? And they draw the circle around them to keep the the bear away. And Squidward doesn't believe that the circle works. Yes. Do you remember what <laughs> I'm talking about? I do know about? what you're talking about. Okay. I only know how to um, process thoughts through SpongeBob references. <laughs> anyway. Whom's among us. So there us. were circles. So there were circles. Whom's among us, yeah. I feel like the outdoor playing thing is, it's really, it's really nice that all of this is kind of happening over the summer, the like slow reopening process so that you can do things like that or kind of ease back into playing a little bit more. For sure. It's, um, it's so strange how like I, I work in a bar and Massachusetts reopened everything very, very suddenly and was just like, oh yeah, next week ain't shit. Do what you want. Live your life. Uh, and it is so weird to like in a room full of people and have it feel kind of normal like I can't imagine being on stage like spitting into a crowd on accident because that's you know me singing is probably a lot of spitting I don't know like that seems so foreign now but it's maybe gonna feel fine I don't know I've been thinking of like like if we ever play a show again of like what things I feel like would would do differently and like I was getting a couple of days ago I was thinking like man if we ever play a show again I feel like maybe I would want to just like buy our own 58s and just like never use a house mic ever again mm -hmm. yeah because like now in my head that seems like why was that a thing that we were all doing those things are gross money and convenience yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, but here's what I'm like, really hoping for is that no sound person or MC will ever put their hand and or mouth on my mic ever again. That would be great. Yeah. That would be excellent. Yeah. Good luck with that. It um. Um, can <laughs> confirm uh, via the 
one one show we have played it has not happened yet. Wow, congrats <laughs> on your success. I I've been thinking about this a lot because I am getting ready to go on tour in approximately one month's time, and uh, you can only do first of all you can only do the best that you can do. Like I had a conversation with our with the tour manager yesterday, and one of the things that I was well, that we were going back and forth about, I was kind of like, should we get extra masks and just have masks at the merch table and like an extra masks for the crew on the bus and stuff like that? But other than that, honestly, my feeling is it will feel weird because we expect it to feel weird, but it won't feel weird because it is weird. I yeah. think we are such social creatures. This is A, how we're programmed be what we've done our entire lives up until the last year. It's like a return to normalcy that I think we crave on a id level. Uh, and that like, it's the more rational, thoughtful part of the brain that goes, oh, but like other people, and I want to protect other people and I don't want anybody to think that I'm this, that, or the other. But But at the same time, like, we want to be around each other and we want to be in rooms sharing experiences with each other that we've uh, not been able to do safely for the past year and a half. And I really feel like after the first time, it's just going to be like, yeah, all right, we're doing it. We're back. Here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) For better or for worse, you know, like that's not to say that I'm advocating for people to act foolishly and not be considerate of those around them. But it it's like it's like the first time, you know, you gathered with your friends in the park after being locked up for a few months. You were like, Oh man, it's so nice to see you because like yeah, we need to be around each other. It's true. I I think I was like really I was like, man, it's going to be so weird to be around that many people. I'm going to be really anxious. Like, I'm not – it's not because I'm I'm scared. Like, it's it's super not. I – hell yeah. Vaxxed up, let's go. Everything is fine. I'm just socially anxious and I forgot. I'm just, just a, a really anxious tendency. person. And I didn't – I don't know what that's like right now because I've been alone so much. Yeah. Turns out strangers are just scary. They are. New experiences are just scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, for one, look forward to the day when coping skills can open up for the future teens once again. Please. It's a real uh, dream I have to bring that back. If you ever find yourselves in the city of Philadelphia, hit us up. Or maybe we'll find ourselves in Boston. I don't know. It's true. Yeah. Who's to say? Yeah. I, I for one, would be so thrilled. Well, it's been really... I, like... The, like, whole cruise ship thing i feel like i have like met people before who have like played music on cruise ships and it seems like like one of the like wildest music gigs you can have for a lot of different (laughs) reasons it was very cool to hear about your experience and how that was for you and you know the good and the bad so thank you for talking to us about that yeah thank you it certainly was weird (laughs) (laughs) that can be the headline of your autobiography. <laughs> that <laughs> that was certainly weird. was weird. And yet another Twitter bio. I just love suggestions. <laughs> Listen. I'm glad we've all this recorded. If there's if there's anything that 
I have learned in being friends with Rachel Dispenza, it's that Rachel Dispenza is often, if not always, right. That is one of the nicest things that you've said to me. <laughs> it's, it is. Thank you so like that much. will get you everywhere. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. That is a sentiment that I hold near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Rachel Dispenza is always right. Well, at the risk of inflating my ego any further, <laughs> I would just like to say Thank you again, the Amy Hoffman, for coming on this episode of More Talk, Less Rock. It's been a blessing and a privilege and an honor. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Thank you for hanging out. Some people think that we're the same. Call us by each other's name. So it's time to play a game called Tag Yourself. Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the show, Tag Yourself. <laughs> is there something funny, Lauren? No, I just I like the presumption that this is everyone's favorite part of the show. I don't know that we've ever taken a poll on that. We but did take a poll. Did we? We took we did a survey at the end of season one, and this was everybody's favorite part of the show. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. So confirmed, everybody's favorite part of the show. Okay. Pre-season two. Okay. Today on Tag Yourself, we will be doing Lilo and Stitch. Mm-hmm. Thanks to me having mentioned in the last episode, crying to it 2.5 times. <laughs> uh, and and we just thought, you know what? That's attack yourself right there. I love a 0.5 cry. Yeah, just one single tear. Mm-hmm. A one cry, two single tears. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to make sense, but it really does. No, it does. Yeah. Well, because you have two eyes, right? So it feels like if there's only one te- one tear... Only get half of half of your eyes crying, so that's a point five. Exactly. Yeah. So, thanks to me crying two point five times during Lilo and Stitch, mm-hmm. we are doing this tag yourself. Mm-hmm. I decided to watch it again to okay. prep for the tag yourself. Mm-hmm. Watched it last night. Cried two point five more times. <laughs> Same places. Same places. Okay. And uh, yeah, this is kind of a tough one in my it opinion. Is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I I feel like we can't go on actions at all. It's really just personality, which is hard to assess from an alien life form Mm -hmm. built to destroy. Mm -hmm. Pure vibes. Pure vibes. Uh, What do you think? I mean, on instinct, I do kind of want to say that I am Lilo and you are Stitch, but I don't know that that's necessarily true okay well what's your instinct i don't know it is kind of interesting like i mean this is something that i've thought about with this um tag yourself concept in general um is like the idea being that we fit into dichotomies but like i feel like the more we do this and like the more we change as people it's like i don't know if those same dichotomies that i always have historically thought that we fit into are necessarily true anymore. I've been feeling the same way too, especially as we record this season. Yeah. Not as much before, but I think part of, we've done more prep on the tag yourselves this season. Mm -hmm. First of all, we really just flew by the seat of our pants earlier, if you could not tell. Uh, And it it is getting more and more difficult to Mm -hmm. pinpoint ourselves into uh, characters who have, especially strong personalities. Mm-hmm. But we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that was not that was not saying that we're gonna stop this bit because we're not. No, it's everyone's favorite bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I I say that to preface what I'm about to say. Great. Which is that you had mentioned earlier that Stitch, I forget the exact phrase that you said, something about being a um built to destroy. Built to destroy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a vessel for for de- I would say like a vessel for chaos. Absolutely. More than like because I don't no, know that, no, like, dis- no, he literally, Experiment 626 was created to be a monster and destroy everything in his path. Yeah. And steal people's left shoe. <laughs> right, right, right. Right, right, steal right, right, everyone's right, right. Left yeah, shoe. yeah, yeah. Rachel, would you care to read us a plot summary of Lilo and Stitch? I would love nothing more. Lilo and Stitch, 2002, from the Disney fandom Wikipedia. Uh, 2002. 2002. Um, says... An extraterrestrial mad scientist named Dr. Jumba is put on trial for illegally creating creatures to cause chaos and destruction. Love the alliteration. Mm -hmm. His latest experiment is Experiment 626, a little blue alien with four arms, two legs, and antenna who is deceptively strong and indestructible. 626 is sentenced to exile while Jumba himself is jailed. However, 626 escapes custody, steals a police cruiser ship, and heads to planet Earth. Jumba gets sent on a mission to retrieve his creation along with a partner on board, self-proclaimed Earth expert Agent Pleakley, who is forced to go along to keep an eye on him. Masquerading as a dog, 626 is adopted by a little girl named Lilo, who is living with her 19-year-old sister, Nani. 19. Lilo is lonely and a little bit of an outcast until she finds a new friend in 626, who she names Stitch. So that kind of gives you the basis of the story. Mm Mm-hmm. It is an excellent film mm-hmm. if you have not seen it. Like I have said multiple times, cried 2.5 times. Mm-hmm. And so this is a toughie. Mm-hmm. They're both so lonely. <laughs> yeah. And and behave in such incomprehensible ways at times mm-hmm. that it really makes um, identifying their personality types in a way that we can align them with ours. Mm-hmm. A challenge. Yeah. But of course we're going to try. That is the goal. Of the yeah. Game. That's the point of the game. Yeah. I do agree with your earlier assessment, mm-hmm. but I think that you are Lilo and I am Stitch. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have many reasons. Yeah. To be able to explain. Again, pure vibes. What I would like to do instead. Okay. Is play you the two, two of the two times that I cried. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because I think my empathy for stitch it feels personal and why i cry mm-hmm. so at this point in the movie um the social worker has told nani that lilo is going to be taken away the next morning and they go home to spend time with each other before this happens and stitch is seeing the the ducks cross the steps together, which is a callback to the ugly ducking book that he has picked up earlier in the film. Lilo, honey. We have two, huh? Don't worry. You're nice. And someone will give you a job. I would. Aloha, oi, aloha, 
Them sitting together on the hammock like that gets me very deeply, and Stitch's ears also. I think there's just so much That's in before. the way his face looks. It was rainy, mm -hmm. and they went for a drive. When they're drooped, drooped rather. What happened to yours? I hear you cry at night. Do you dream about them? I know that's why you wreck things. And push me. Our family's little now, and we don't have many toys. But if you want, you could be a part of it. You could be our baby, and we'd raise you to be good. Ohana means family. Family means nobody gets left behind. But if you want to leave, you can. I'll remember you, though. I remember everyone that leaves. Stitch walks out the window with the ugly duckling book. This is sad. <laughs> like, I get it. So sad. Yeah. just sitting by himself out in the woods looking at the ugly duckling book and and wondering where his family is yeah it's so sad it is so sad this movie really was i think ahead of its time in mm -hmm. a lot of ways yeah for a disney film and this was like after like the disney renaissance kind of era mm -hmm. i mean it's not a musical but I don't know. I feel like when I, like, this was not a film that I really thought a lot about before rewatching it. And it, like, it did really get to me, too. Yeah. Like, well, I, I think it explores um, feeling, you know, feeling like an outcast in a really, in a really gentle but thorough way. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it gives you, it gives you multiple people's experiences of that right mm -hmm. like Lilo is different from all of the girls in her school and they're mean to her because of this and and they're never given a reason to like it's not mm -hmm. I get that Lilo hits the girl the girl is mean to her first yeah. you know yeah but um, she's just like kind of weird and that's really it yeah like she feeds 
and like sandwiches to fish. What <laughs> seven year old isn't weird? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you know, Stitch obviously is a, a creature without a history or a family in an alien place, mm-hmm. and by that I mean Earth. And you know, he too is looking for more actively, you know, looking for a place to belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the second clip? So the second Let's just clip keep rolling with it. <laughs> is at the end of the movie when the aliens have come back and one of them has thought that he has captured both Stitch and Lilo, not intending to get Lilo, but she was there talking to Stitch. And Stitch escapes and um, then Jumbo and Pleakley capture him and Nani comes up to them and is like, what have you done with Lilo? And they're like, you know, sorry, there's nothing we can do. And Stitch goes up to, to Nani. Oh, Hannah. Huh? Hey, get away from her. No, what did you say? Oh, Hannah means family. Family means nobody, nobody gets left behind. Or forgotten. Yeah. And the way he says, yeah, and puts his head down. And then after that, you know, he turns around to Jumbo completely and says something in the alien language. And Jumbo's like, you expect me to help you after all you put me through? Just <laughs> like that. Just like that. And he goes, eh. yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay. And, you know, the whole, the whole all of it just, just really gets to me. Really yeah. Cute. Yeah. Well, I guess if we're going to get back to the task at hand. Sure. <laughs> now that we've reminisced fondly about <laughs> Yeah, now that I'm feeling sappy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the image in my head that comes to mind when I think of Lilo is her lying on her back staring at the ceiling, listening to, <laughs> <laughs> to Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah. And that just like, I don't know. I feel like I identify a lot just like with that specific image. Uh-huh. And I'm sure you do too. Sure, yeah. Yeah. But I think there was something that Lilo said in one of those clips that was something along the lines of like I like I understand why you are so destructive is because you miss your family, you miss your home. Mhm. And this is not to say that you are necessarily destructive, but I feel like that concept of like feeling a certain way or acting a certain way because you feel like lost or, you know, miss your family, miss your, you know, your home, whatever that is, that feels you and like Lilo being like, I like, I get, I get what you're doing and mm-hmm. like I feel you. I don't know. I feel like in that dynamic. But I don't. I don't really have like a very good like. <laughs> I, hear, I don't know. No, I hear what you're saying. I, Lilo saying that to Stitch, is something that I definitely identified with and got me. I, I think the it, to generalize that exchange, what Lilo is saying is, you are in pain, and that is why you lash out. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that is. Not only a universal feeling, mm-hmm. but definitely something that could be attributable as a quality to me, maybe more so in the past than as much recently, but nobody's perfect. 
Um, I I don't know that you would say that to me, but it is a truth. Like what that I wouldn't say what to you. What Lila said to Stitch. Oh. Yeah. But <laughs> that is a way that I I don't often say the things that I want to say. But I feel like the sentiment is there of like I see you and I'm still here mm-hmm. and like I get what is happening and I get what you're going through. I don't know. I love how these like tie yourselves have have become have like kind of become like just because of the nature of some of them. It's just like mm-hmm. we're getting into like therapizing a little bit. <laughs> but I don't know. It is like weirdly very emotional. I mean, not even weirdly because it, you know, the premise of the story is very emotional. Totally. But you know, thinking about the fact that it's like a Disney cartoon about an alien. And a small child, you're like, oh, okay, but, but it is very emotional. There and have been stranger Disney premises. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah, <laughs> that's true. But I don't know. It's just, it's vibes. It's really- <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, it's the question really is, which kind of outcast do you feel like? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If we're gonna say like who is more likely to be more of an agent of chaos than the other one? Oh, absolutely me. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like if we're gonna say who is more likely to ignore the fact that some people are not treating them well in order to maintain <laughs> a, a, a fake friendship, I think the answer is you. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Not even a fake friendship necessarily, just like holding on to a feeling of belonging mm-hmm. to someone or something. Totally. Or being part of something, even if it's maybe not necessarily the best thing for you. Yeah. Feeling some attachment to that. There was a, the other scene that I intended to bring up, and now that we're talking about it, I remember, is the part where the mean girls roll up on their trikes, mm. and Lilo is trying to be like, hi, come look at my dog. And they're like, that is the ugliest thing I ever saw. And Stitch pushes the girl off the bike and then they and takes the bike. I'm pushing the mean the person who was mean to you off yeah, the bike. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every time. Yeah. She had it coming. She did. Yeah. So all of that to say. I am Lilo. And I'm Stitch. If you have any suggestions of stuff that we could tag ourselves as and go into uh emotional trauma spirals. Please. Whoa. <laughs> Please send us an email to moretalklessrock at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of More Talk Less Rock. We uh, record, produce, edit, release it ourselves, and we hope you have fun listening to it. If you do enjoy the show, please give us a kind rating and review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to it. You can also follow us on social media at More Talk Less Rock on Instagram and at MTLR Podcast on Twitter, where we occasionally post updates about the show. And you can send us an email at moretalklessrock at gmail.com with any tag yourself suggestions or just to say what's up. I'm Lauren. And I'm Rachel. And, and we're, we're just, just happy, happy to be here. here. Earlier this week, I texted Lauren the rock emoji that seems new or is new to me. And I said, 
that's a nice boulder. And <laughs> they said, <laughs> it's not just a boulder. It's a rock. A rock. And I misunderstood. <laughs> I didn't get the reference because they cross-referenced me. Yeah. And then they sent me a gif of the SpongeBob episode. And I said, the pioneers used to ride these babies for yeah. miles. <laughs> which, is a, which is a better joke in, in your defense. Thank you.